You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford. I'm joined by Gene Henley, and we are back. It feels like it's been a while since Gene and I have sat down and recorded an episode, so happy to be back here with the headset on to talk some Tennessee men's and women's hoops. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you uh, taking a chance on the show, and hopefully you enjoy your stay here and decide to subscribe and come back for more. If this isn't your first time, welcome back. Subscribe to the show today. We're available everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, we're there. Go subscribe to us today. You can also get us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at VolHoopsFever. And we're on Facebook, Vol Basketball Fever, on there as well. Gene, we have a few things to talk about since you and I last spoke. Uh, we talked, actually, last time we spoke was right before, I think the day before, Zakai Ziegler ended up committing to Tennessee. No need to rehash all of that. We basically gave our, our opinion on him um, in that episode. So if y'all want to hear that, go back a couple episodes and can take a listen to that. I interviewed a couple of his coaches from the high school ranks in the latest episode. Uh, so the one before this one, so you can go listen to that one as well. If you want to hear um, firsthand accounts from his coaches about what kind of players a Kai Ziegler is and what Tennessee's getting from the New York point guard. So we kind of thought all about him. So no, no reason to really go back on that one, but I do want to start the show off here with some recruiting notes and opinions and discussion and, and everything there because it's that time of year where we're starting to see coaches go on the road to go visit players and go, you know, take some visits. And also sometime soon you'll be seeing players come and visit campus. Also, I know Tennessee is going to be hosting uh, Case and Wallace on a visit. They're hosting, oh my gosh, they're hosting a big man. I'm trying to remember if it's Ernest Uday Jr. or someone else that, that I, I cannot remember. I don't think it's him, but somebody else is coming to campus sometime soon too that uh, was one of Tennessee's bigger targets. So we, we're getting visits. Coaches visiting players. Players will be visiting coaches and campuses here soon. But, Gene, a couple of things that are interesting notes here that I want to start off with. I don't know about you, but I was I was kind of surprised to see this. Brandon Miller cut down his list of, of teams, and he included a team from Tennessee with the name Tennessee in, in there, but it wasn't the Vols. It was Tennessee State. He, he trimmed his list down to four. Didn't include the Vols. Like, I got to say, I was a little surprised by that. You, we, we've talked about Brandon Miller on this podcast before. I think there's, if I remember correctly, let me, I'm going to look up his top four. I think he still um, included the one of the pro teams he had on there for his top four. Um, yeah, and in fact, all the experts are still um, predicting him, at least on his Super 7 profile. The crystal balls are still for the professional route going pro. Um, I'm trying to see if it has his social. It does not. But Kentucky misses the cut as well. So he, he, he cut Tennessee. He cut Kentucky. Um, it is now down to Alabama, Tennessee State, the G League, and the NBL over in Australia. So two uh, two college teams. And obviously you got to feel like I, – I think I think he's being – I don't think he's just throwing Tennessee State in there to be funny or to, you know, just to raise the profile of a, of a, of a HBCU. I think he actually, you know, would actually consider going to Tennessee State. But I feel like if he's going to go to college, it'll be Bama – um, but I think it's more likely he goes the pro route. But I, I was a little surprised. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, Gene. But I was a little surprised to see that he did not include Tennessee 
in his trimmed down list when he got down to four. Yeah, I don't think there's really, um, no, I don't think there's as much surprise. I don't know. I necessarily had too much of an opinion on it. I don't think that he was really high on Tennessee early on. Um, and, you know, I think that usually matters. I think they got in the process. It fell, so they kind of got in the process late. Not saying they waited. It's just he never – he always seemed lukewarm on Tennessee. It just felt that way from uh, the early part of the recruiting. Once I started really looking into the kid, which was – I guess back in March when I watched him play in the state tournament, um, and it didn't really appear as though he was really high on him. Obviously, Tennessee can, you know, they can change that and they can get in there, but it just never seemed like they were able to really make any headway with him, and that's fine. I mean, like, obviously it hurts from Tennessee's perspective, uh, but, I mean, it what really hurt is if the kid goes to Bama. If he goes to TSU, you know, I think that's a win for uh, – Penny Smith, the head coach there, I actually know one of the assistants. It's a friend of mine, and uh, I, I would love it for them. Uh, but I think it would hurt Tennessee fans if if the kid goes to Bama because that's an in-state kid that you've lost. And I think that hurts a little more. And I think, obviously, that hurts a little more in football than basketball because your basketball program is above average. Um, they're good. And whereas your bat, your obviously your football program is trying to kind of get back to what it was, and so uh, you don't want to lose that kid, regardless. But uh, from everything you, I've gathered, from what I've seen, it looks like they're uh, Tennessee has shown that they're going to be fine, regardless. But it still hurts to lose a kid of this caliber because I think that kid is going to be an amazing prospect. Yeah, not, again, I, I think it's very likely he goes the pro route. Um, if you have two two college teams, two pro teams, or I guess two pro leagues technically, um, and your your final four there, I, I guess it's the the odds are fifty fifty. But I, I just feel like it's going to go pro because we're seeing more and more kids um, decide to go pro. And even even with the NIL stuff, we're, we're still seeing some elite, you know, the, the five star prospects. A lot of them deciding to go. There's there's a kid in the twenty three or a couple of kids I think in the twenty three class already who've said they're going to go pro and obviously you know they're and they're heading into their i guess now school started they're in their junior years of high school and they're already saying hey i'm gonna go pro you know i'm not even gonna bother waiting to my senior year to announce that i'm just gonna go ahead and do it now so we're seeing you know it's not gonna be where you see you know like 20 kids in a recruiting cycle go pro but still you're gonna get those elite guys decide to go pro even with the nil stuff it's they they feel it's more worth it to go pro you know to skip that one year of college to go you know play professionally already out of high school and then try to get into the NBA that way so it'll be interesting to see what Brandon Miller does but you're right if he if he chooses Bama that's really going to sting for Tennessee because that's just not what Tennessee needs they've already you know they've seen plenty of guys they've targeted go to Kentucky there were a couple guys that targeted that that did go to Bama or, or coming to the SEC in general you know the SEC as a whole has kind of upped their game in the men's basketball recruiting um so that's not what Tennessee needs is to see a target or a guy who's a, you know, an in-state kid go to one of your rivals, a team that you, you've struggled to beat over the last three, four years. Staying on the recruiting trail, a couple other names that I wanted to mention for Tennessee, obviously Kaysen Wallace, but also um, Julian Phillips, who Tennessee also coaches are expected to go see him. But Kaysen Wallace, Tennessee started off the live period. Um, they started off on Thursday. Tennessee sent 
their entire coaching staff to Richardson, Texas to go see Casey Wallace at workout. They're joined by Kentucky and Chris Beard, full staff from Texas as well. Uh, Wallace obviously took a, a recent official visit to Texas and Kentucky and also took one to Tennessee earlier and is going to be taking a second official visit to Tennessee next weekend, September 17th. And then he's going to be making his decision, I think, on November 7th, I believe. So he's going to be waiting almost two months before making a decision after that official visit to Tennessee. Um, he actually sat down recently, I think last week, I want to say, uh, with Brandon Jenkins of 247 Sports and said that he likes Tennessee's campus. It's pretty different from being in Dallas, but I like the way the team and the coaching staff is all together. They're a very family-oriented program. And I think that is why I feel I would fit there. But Gene, as we've talked about before, it, it still seems like Kentucky is the favorite to land Casey Wallace because they came in with a late offer. And, he, and it's just very hard to beat Kentucky when they come in with a late offer, especially if it's a kid like Wallace who has mentioned that he loves Kentucky and that Kentucky, I, I can't remember if the words dream school have been said specifically from him out of his mouth about Kentucky, but if they haven't, it's been hinted at it at least. Um, so I want to get to him in a second, but also Tennessee coaches, again, are expected to see five-star power forward Julian Phillips. I think they did see him today, I want to say, actually. Um, I'll have to go back on Twitter and check, because I know Tennessee was looking at and or had visited like multiple guys today, this weekend they're supposed to. Uh, let me pull up the Vol Hoops Fever Twitter, as I know I've retweeted a couple different things today. Uh, Florida State, no, Tennessee will be in tomorrow. So as you're hearing this, it will be today, I guess. But on, on Friday, Tennessee is expected to be in to see four-star Dylan Mitchell. Uh, Julian Phillips, again, expected to have Florida State, LSU, and Tennessee in to see him uh, today, I want to say. So this would have been on Thursday. Uh, again, Tennessee's full staff was in to see Kaysen Wallace. And then the Vols also went to see four-star big man Kyron Lindsey, who's becoming more and more of a target and more and more of a priority uh, for Tennessee. Also on Monday, they're going to go see Ernest Uday Jr., who I've mentioned earlier as well. So Tennessee's coaches going all over the place to go see some of their, their top targets in this 2022 cycle. And let's say there was another guy that I missed. Oh, Jed Howard. Yeah, I mean, that one's, again, uh, I would say a long shot. But Tennessee will be in next week to go visit Jet Howard as well. So, Gina, that's a lot of ground to cover, but I mostly want to get back to Casey Wallace here because I've seen a lot of different takes. I've seen Kentucky writers seem fairly confident that he's going to Kentucky, but I've seen Tennessee writers fairly confident that Tennessee uh, still likes their chances with him. And, and most of the people I've seen and looking at the, the, the crystal ball predictions Chris here on 247 Sports um, for Casey Wallace. Most of them for Kentucky are like in that. They, they now I do like they have a confidence rating now, in like that medium range. Uh, you had Tim Watkins in late July put a three confidence of a of a low rating. Travis Branham uh, of two four seven Sports put in a seven, which is a you know low high, but it's it, it listed as a high. And then Steve Newhouse, uh, who writes for DePaul on two four seven Sports, put in a six as a medium and those both were on September 3rd. So last week, Gene, again, I, I'm not, if I'm, if I'm, you know, telling Vol fans how to lean on this one, how to feel, I'm going to caution them not to get their hopes up and say, Oh, Tennessee's going to land case and Wallace. I, I still think it's going to be Kentucky. And I, I want to caution fans again to say the sky isn't falling because Tennessee missed out on Brandon Miller. 
because Tennessee, I think, likely is going to miss out on Kaysen Wallace. Sky's not falling. Tennessee still has plenty of other guys that they're going to get. And again, this class, this 2022 class, I don't think it's going to be a huge class. The Tennessee's uh, 2021 class, let's see how many people they end up signing with adding Tamba and Ziegler. Seven guys, and that doesn't include Justin Powell adding as a transfer. That's eight guys Tennessee added in this past kind of recruiting cycle in, in this offseason. Eight guys have added to the roster. Now, obviously, a couple of those guys are, are you know, not going to be really significant contributors for this season, maybe even not even next year necessarily. But that's eight guys. That's eight players that are likely, they're obviously guaranteed roster spots for this year, but are likely, you know, guaranteed roster spots next year as well. Well, Kenny Chandler won't be, I guess. So still like six, six to seven of those guys, of those eight will be on the roster next year. I don't know that Tennessee's 2022 class is going to be huge. I think you have B.J. Edwards right now. I think you'd like to add at least one, if not two, big men. I, and then I think Tennessee could be done. And I think, you know, you look at the big men Tennessee is targeting. I don't think Re- Johan Traore is a guy that Tennessee is going to land. Um, I think they're still interested in him, but I don't know that Tennessee will end up getting him. But you do look at guys like Ernest Day Jr. You, you look at guys um, like uh, the guy I just mentioned earlier, Kyron Lindsay as well. Gee, my, my point in this is, I, I get people wanting to be optimistic about Casey Wallace, and I think his 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 kind of little nuggets he said the interview he gave, um, kind of breaking down his top teams. It, it it was nice to hear him say things that he feels like he's a good fit at Tennessee, and I think he said he he wants to make his choice based on where he fits in best. So you know that sounds good if you're a Tennessee fan saying, hey, he feels like he fits in really well at Tennessee. He's making his decision where he fits in best. That should be Tennessee, but you also gotta feel like I mean. He's going to fit in good at Kentucky. I, I, I don't imagine he would feel like a. Although I mean, he have more, he'll have more competition at Kentucky because it's not like they're slowing down recruiting. Their twenty two class and twenty three class are looking like they're going to be um, two really good classes for Kentucky. But Gene, I'm, I'm just again cautioning Ball fans not to get their hopes up on this one. It's fine if they miss out on Casey Wallace. It's okay. Tennessee still has a chance to land a couple more really really good recruits, some elite recruits, and Tennessee again has B.J. Edwards committed to them. Um, in the 22 class as well, who I think is a really good player. And I think, again, they're targeting other really good players. So I don't think Vol fans should worry if they miss out on Casey Wallace here in, what, two months when he makes his announcement. And, and again, things have changed. That's two months. That, that's a whole lot of time for things to change. And again, Tennessee is getting his last official visit. So we'll see if that moves the needle even more. But I, I, just, I, just, I just feel like it's going to be Kentucky, and I don't want to... I would love to be proven wrong here, but I don't want to get, you know, Vol fans, their, their hopes up and say, hey, yeah, I feel like Tennessee has, you know, as good a shot as anybody to get them here because I don't. I feel like it, I feel like it is a Tennessee-Kentucky battle. I feel like Texas is there, but I don't feel like they're they're, they're definitely battling third. But I feel like Kentucky has the lead, and I, I don't know I don't know that Tennessee is going to be able to make that up just because of who can, what, what Kentucky is as a program and what Kentucky means to high school basketball players as a program too. Yeah, and I, I think when you're getting into the homes of the top level prospects is is key. That's it's so important. Um, if I was Rick Barnes, I would try to use the same pitch that I used on Friday Night Lights when I was trying to pull in Smash Williams. Um, that's what I would do, although it was very weird, very jarring. 
to look and see Rick Barnes is apparently a football coach in that show. Um, but no, all jokes aside, I'm, I'm actually watching Friday Night Lights for the first time, which is why I thought it was really cool that I could throw that reference out. Um, you, I think a lot of what Tennessee's recruiting is going to ultimately be in this class is going to be contingent on the development of Jonas Adu and, and Tampa because if they make you feel comfortable in what you've got going on, you pretty much expect those guys to be four or five-year guys anyway. Um, at least two, three, four, yeah, at least two or three years. And if you can get away, because I think you lose Plavsic this year. No, that kid's just like, like a sophomore. Never mind. Yeah. So like even him, I mean, those three guys, that's going to really determine where your recruiting goes because Fulkerson's gone after this year. Um, I expect Huntley Hatfield to be gone after this year. We'll see what happens with the development of like a, Josiah James, and, and so you, you're you're gonna, you know, I, I only throw Josiah in there because he kind of plays multiple positions and does a lot of different things, um, fills in some gaps. But their their guard recruiting, obviously, they've they've got the Edwards kid, and that's that's a heck of a get. Um, if they can get Wallace, you may have your future backcourt. We can always question certain things. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, the the skeptic, you know, the skeptical person in me kind of said, you know, kind of says, um, how does he compare to the uh, uh, the the Mayshack kid? They have similar body types. Um, Mayshack is not a bad player. He may not be. He may lack some of the skills. I don't know. Like I truly don't know, but. If you're getting into the homes of these kids, then you have to listen to them. You have to try to get them. So I get that. I completely get that. You know, Rick Barnes' you know, responsibility is to fill his roster with the best play, the best players that fit what he wants to do the best. Um, and I don't think he's forgotten about 17 and 14 or 17, whatever they were, in the 1920 season. Uh, because they had so much positive momentum those those two previous seasons and last year was last year is such a hard year to judge for everybody mm-hmm. and, and and I understand people are frustrated and look I hate being wrong with predictions and the thing you and I both predicted that Tennessee was going to walk through this league um, and <laughs> when in fact Bama did and so I don't like my predictions being wrong but that one was wrong and I also look at last season where I saw, you know, I mean, to go to my current beat, I saw a UTC team that people thought was going to win the Southern Conference tournament uh, lose two starters before their first game of the tournament because of COVID. So, and so they just they had to play with like six players. And so last year was such a jumbled mess it's so hard to gauge and judge anything that transpired. But what I'm seeing, what I've seen since then, um, you know, like Barnes is on this recruiting just rampage on a tear. And if you look at the homes he's getting into, that shows a lot of promise. Because you're not going to get all these guys, you know, recruiting is you know more about swinging and missing. Um 
unless you're like a Calipari or Nick Saban. Those guys typically go, you know, pick who they want. And it's very rare they lose out on somebody unless there's some sort of like prior relationship, like Kentucky losing Kate Cunningham because his brother was an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. Stuff like that that happens. Um, this isn't that. Like, and so you're 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 going to miss a lot in recruiting. When I say miss, and just in terms of getting players, but you know you're getting in the homes and. You know, like with these kids in these AAU circles, they're they're pretty close, and so they do communicate. And there are conversations being had between the kids about it. Hey, well, you know, so you know, say random four or five star kid, uh, a name pops up in recruiting, and this, and this kid is being recruited by Tennessee, and um, the kid reaches out to Case and Wallace in the event that Case and Wallace goes to say Kentucky. Well, hey, man, how'd you feel about you know, Tennessee and Barnes? I mean, it's great, dude. We just made a business decision. So now all of a sudden you can get the next kid. Um, and that's why it's good to, you know, for Tennessee to kind of put up, you know, to have taken, you know, sent the entire staff hmm. to have sent, you know, sports information directors and former Vols and everybody, you know, everybody they possibly could because... That just shows, look, we are interested. We're going to do everything we can to get you. And so, like, to me, that just shows that they're in it. They may miss out on it. That's, I mean, again, I'll say that's fine, but I understand that fans don't, <laughs> they don't feel the same way because they hate to lose. But right. I, I do think they're in a position now where they have, uh, they're getting in the home, them being consistently being in the homes of some of the top players in the country will pay dividends. Yeah, and I was going to say, how many times in, in basketball, in men's basketball, has Tennessee gone toe-to-toe with Kentucky for a recruit and, like, actually had a legit chance of, of landing a kid? It, it's not been many times. The fact that Tennessee's even here in this spot, I, I think that speaks volumes about just kind of where the program is now because <laughs> rewind five, six years ago, never would have thought that was going to happen uh, in, the, in the midst of hiring your third coach in three years and coming off of escaping basically what could have been a disaster of the Diane Tindall situation if you didn't fire him when you did and, and everything. I mean, Tennessee has has not gone head-to-head with, with Kentucky for a recruit very often, and when they have, they have almost always lost that that battle for a guy that Kentucky has legitimately wanted. So, again, I, I, I think they will lose this battle too, but, I mean, Tennessee has a legit shot. They, they like you said, they – they put the, all their their chips on the table, sent all the the coaching staff so to Texas, and then Kentucky. I think only sent, I think one of their coaches, and I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think it was Calipari. I have to go back and double check. I don't even remember the tweet I read if it said, um, but they didn't. They obviously didn't send their entire coaching staff. They they, they went more of the of a spread out approach. I think today, and and tomorrow as well. But again, I don't want to read too much into that and, and get Vol fans too excited to get their hopes up if if, if you know about landing Case and Wallace when I don't think they end up end up landing Case and Wallace. So I don't I don't want to get their ho- their hopes up there. But again, that's if you're looking for more glimmers of hope, you're looking for more good news in the recruiting front, you could look at that as saying, hey, Tennessee's putting all their chips on the table, whereas Kentucky's putting in one guy, Tennessee can spin that and say, Hey man, look, we're we're making you a, a massive priority. Kentucky thinks they already have you in the bag. Like why would you choose them when that's the case and also the case that they're going to land 
I mean, they already have a couple of five stars in that 2022 class, and I, th I think I'm gonna look up that class really quickly because I think a couple of those guys kind of play the the same position, or the, a couple of the guys are targeting kind of play the, the the same position or around the same position of what Casey Wallace plays because they think he wants to be a shooting. Yeah, they, they already have uh, Shaden Sharp, who's committed to them as a, a five star, who's as listed as a shooting guard. Sky Clark's a point guard, um, but. Kaysen Wallace is going to play shooting guard at the next level. This is listed as a combo guard, but I don't think he's going to play point very often. He could be a ball handler, but he's not going to be your, your main point in college, I don't think. So they already have one shooting guard committed. And I want to say they have another guy that they're really high on as a shooting guard as well. I think it was, well, no, Keontae George ended up committing to Baylor, so not him. Um, I, gosh, I feel like there's one other guy. I mean, well, Nick Smith, but I feel like Nick Smith, they've either cooled on or something happened there where Nick Smith isn't no longer is considered a Kentucky lean I think from what I've seen reported by other other you know reporters out there but still I don't know I'm not I'm just again not trying to get ball fans hopes too high here but y'all can go get your, your hopes I just don't blame me and, and Gene for when it doesn't happen because we didn't get you we, we didn't we didn't pump y'all up we didn't hype we didn't hype it up we were trying to cool the waters a little bit about that one but again yeah you made a really good point too, Gene, about a lot's going to hinge on what happens with Jonas Adu, what happens with Huntley Hatfield, and what happens with Tamba, uh, well, specifically with Adu and Tamba, um, in, in terms of what happens with them and kind of how Tennessee's recruiting is going to be shaped over the next couple of years. Because I also wonder, you know, over the next few years, how heavy does Tennessee dip into the transfer portal? Because that's obviously been a thing that uh, is going to take on a lot new, a lot more life over the next few years because of the one-time transfer rule being enacted. And Tennessee, you know, obviously got Justin Powell this year. Uh, they, they, you know, knocked on the door and, and kicked the tires on a few other guys, and I think were legitimately interested in a few other guys, but it didn't end up happening. But I do wonder, you know, does Tennessee eventually one offseason go more of the the, the Arkansas slash Bama route and try to bring in three, four transfers rather than just bringing in one because I, I don't think we've had a if I unless I'm remembering incorrectly I don't know that Barnes has ever brought in more than one transfer in an offseason at Tennessee because I think thinking back it was James Daniel was one of them Ian Childs was one of them or it was Ian Childs with Tyndall I don't remember now but either way um, you had that you had Lou Evans was one as well you have Justin sure. Powell. These are off the, top, off the top of my head. They also had last year EJ Anasicki. But again, those are all just one guy in each each offseason. You, you never brought in, to my knowledge, you never brought in two guys well, as transfers. He had Euros and Victor Bailey that one year. Uh, that's true. I guess, yeah, Victor just didn't play that year. But that, that is a good point. Yeah. I guess you're right on that one. Victor just didn't play yeah. that, that but, season. But he, he, he did transfer in that offseason. You're right. Yeah, I, do. I think the thing is – Will will more old school coaches fully buy into the portal? Because I mean, if you look at the coaches that are the most active in the portal right now, I mean, I, it's it's Bama. So you're talking about Nato's, you know, more of a new one of these new age coaches. You've got Musselman at, Musselman in Arkansas, obviously more new age, um, and you know Texas. With Chris Beard, that's a little more. He he plays a little more old school, but obviously he's he's younger, so there's a little much. I mean, if you look at some of the more the more old school coaches, Coach K and Roy Williams were like, "Nah, we're good." 
we're not about to do this. And they just retired. You know, they just stepped away. Um, you know, so, like, I, I wonder, you know, obviously Barnes is handling, he's handling this right now. He's dealing with it. He's bringing in some guys. But I also don't think that, um, I, I, I wonder, you know, like now you're, you're, the goal isn't to bring, I mean, because now you're not bringing guys in to sit out for a year. Um, and I wonder how many of the guys that he brought in before were willing to, you know, those were guys who in most cases seemed to be okay if they were not graduate transfers with sitting out a year. Victor Bailey had no issue with it. You know, Euros, that was a little different situation there. Obviously a lot going on there. James Daniel was a graduate transfer, so that's different. And Osiki was a graduate transfer. Like, it's now, I mean, this could be the turn, the change in the guard because Justin Powell comes here, you know, he, he goes to Tennessee and he's got multiple years, you know, and I, I wonder how important that's going to be to fully buy into, look, this is just the new age of recruiting, you know, and that's part of the reason why a lot of more old school coaches don't like using the portal is because their their thought is, you know, look, I want to build these relationships with these guys. Like, if you keep on trying to slap a Band-Aid on an issue, eventually you're going to run out of Band-Aids. Or, 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 you know, you're going to keep trying to plug a problem, and the problem's not going to get any better. I mean, like, hey, look at Calipari. He kept doing the one-and-done thing, and then until all of a sudden he couldn't have his six months of bonding with the team and the team fell apart last year. It won like what, nine games. Mm-hmm. So after a while, you want to kind of do things just the more old school, simple way and just not bring in all the transfers. But we're here. I mean, we're in portal season, man. That's not going anywhere. We're, we're, in, we're in the world of the portal. And you better learn how to use it, use it properly and use it wisely. Or... You're going to get left behind because not a, not a lot of these bigger schools are just building from the bottom. I'm curious. You, you sparked something in my brain when you said old school coaches because I know obviously you're referring to guys like Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski who you know have or are about to retire, guys in their 70s. But do you consider Rick Barnes an old school coach? And, and by that extension, what about guys like Calipari and Bruce Pearl? Because those, both those guys, believe it or not, are in the early 60s. Barnes is only five, six years older than them. He's in his, he's 67. I think Calipari is 62 and Pearl 61. So I'm, I'm curious when you, I know, I know you refer, you were referring more to the guys like Ray Williams and, and Coach K, but I also think it, it's an interesting question of, of old school coaches. Do you consider Rick Barnes and Tom Izzo in that crowd? And, and then do you consider Pearl and, and Calipari in that crowd? Because it's not like they're that much younger than uh, Barnes and, and Izzo, because Izzo's, I think, 66, 67 as well. So, like, I, I'm curious on your, your thoughts on these the old-school coaches versus I, – I, I agree with you. I think guys like Musselman and and, and Nate Oates are obviously – that's different. They're they're a decade or so younger than um, the, the coaches I'm talking about, maybe even more than that. I can't remember their age. But I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, when you say old-school coaches, do you, do you think of Bruce Pearl and John Calipari? Because I, I didn't, but I looked at their age, and I was like, you know – 
I don't know. I mean, they're closer to those old school coaches maybe than they are the, the new school coaches. No, I think those are two completely separate. I think Izzo and Barnes are a lot more similar in how they go about business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at the other two names you mentioned, Bruce Pearl has never come across his age. I mean, yeah. from painting, you know, you know, hanging in the student section without a shirt on, all the different things that have happened. And, of course, you know, Kalapari pretty much brought in the whole one-and-done era. And that's something that there's a lot of forward thinking that goes into that. And Calipari has relationships with <laughs> sorry. Uh, Calipari has relationships with you know, with heck half the NBA. Yeah. Including yeah. guys that he didn't even coach. Um, so like the, they don't come across the same way as Izzo and and Barnes in that regard. And and that's why like, I don't think the age, you know, connotes the mentality. Like, I know coaches that are, you know, close to my age and I'm, you know, around my 40s. I'm, well, I'm 40. I mean, I lie. Uh, <laughs> you know, I made myself older than I am. I know, I know coaches who are around my age who are against the transfer portal. And I, I know two particular coaches both my around my age one is against the portal but will use it begrudgingly another 1000% embraces transfers and they're in they're the same age about the same age and so that is so it's more of just I guess how you were raised in coaching um, you know like you know Calipari has been very progressive um, in terms of how he went about stuff. Pearl, very progressive. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, Coach K did when he didn't have much of a choice. He, you know, he jumped. Into the, he realized that he could get into this whole one and done era, and he could sell Duke and himself and USA basketball to these guys. And so that you know, but it was later in the game, and then. When he realized he was going to have to start doing all this transfer portal stuff, he was like, "I'm done." And obviously, Roy Williams pretty much just said that, <laughs> you know, just said that that was that was a major cause of him stepping away. And, and so, it's two different schools of thought. I don't think there's an age particularly that goes along with it, but mm-hmm. um, I just think I just think that it's more how you are and, and like what you believe in. And, you know, people like Roy Williams, they believe in, you know, recruiting your guys, building relationships, getting them in your program, you know, building them up, letting them stay for four or five years. And hopefully after a few years, you get a championship out of it like you did, I think, last in 2017, I think it was, was his last his last championship. Um, you know, that that's just, it's just a school of thought. And... There's no particular age that goes along with it. It's just how you are. Yeah, no, I think it's a good answer. I think you're, you're spot on. Age isn't the ultimate qualifier for that type of stuff, and I 100% agree with you because, like you said, Pearl's never come across. His, he's never seemed his age. Like I, I was actually genuinely surprised to see he was 61. Like He just hasn't come across. And not that 61's old, because like, I mean, people are living to be older and older and being healthier as they get older now. Because... 61 now is it the same as 61 back in the 90s, for example. 
or 80s or 70s, but still, it was still surprising to see that he is 61. Because he's been, he's been coaching. This is crazy to think about. He's been coaching since 1982. He was an assistant at Stanford in 82, and he first became a head coach in 1992. I just don't think of Bruce Pearl being a head coach in the 80s, but he was. That's just kind of weird to think about. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, not, it's less of an age thing and more of a, a mentality because you can be a, a 35-year-old and be very vehemently against the transfer portal, but then you can also be a, a 72-year-old and be very for it and be, you know, all gung-ho about it so you're absolutely right about that so i think that kind of covers for now at least most of the recruiting stuff and 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 kind of talking about you know the landscape of the future of the program for tennessee let's get into the present let's look at what's about to happen this i guess technically the future but the more immediate future what's going to happen this season because this week we've seen both the vols and lady vols announce their schedules uh we now know all the schedule all the teams are going to play well, I think Lady Vols have one more. Um, let's see here. Yeah, an additional non-conference home game will be announced at a later date for the season. So Lady Vols actually do have one more spot open for a non-conference game. But essentially, the schedules are set for both the men's and women's teams. And Gene, neither neither team has an easy schedule. Uh, the Vols, the men's team, opened up the season on the, with an exhibition game um, against the Lower Rhine. You know, that's that's... Red Barnesville stopping grounds where the, the season itself gets started, tips off against UT Martin in Thompson Bowling Arena on November 9th. Lady Balls get started against Georgia College in Thompson Bowling Arena on November 3rd, and then Southern Illinois, and then they play UCF, which is a, a, a tough team. But, man, Gene, both these these programs are they're really going out there to really bump up that string of the schedule um, in the regular season and really help their, I guess, net ranking. Lady Balls are playing three of the four Final four teams from last season. Obviously, you know one of those you can't help because it's an SEC school at South Carolina. But they're also playing Stanford, UConn. They're also going to be playing teams like Texas A&M and Georgia and, and Kentucky and Arkansas in the SEC. And those are all really good teams last year and they look to be good again this year. They're also playing Texas, USF, Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech, and UCF, who were all, again, good teams last year. And the Vols are playing them again this year. The men's side also plays Texas. They're also going to play Villanova either North Carolina or Purdue. They're playing Colorado, playing Texas Tech. They're playing Memphis in that game. The, the tickets have gone on sale for that game, I think, as of today, and I want to say they're very close to being sold out already. Um, after that Memphis game, they play Arizona. And then both teams, actually, Vols and Lady Vols, open up the SEC schedule playing Alabama. The Vols go on the road against Alabama on December 29th to open up the SEC season whereas the Lady Vols will host the Tide on December 30th, the very next day, uh, to begin the SEC season. And then Tennessee, uh, the men's team, opens up the, the home slate of things in the SEC against Ole Miss on January 5th. But, Gene, you also have the two two of the, the biggest non-conference opponents for both these squads. Obviously, I think Tennessee and Memphis is the biggest non-conference matchup for the men's side. But the second biggest one is Tennessee and Texas. Uh, both these programs, they're, they're two of their biggest non-conference matchups are within the same week. Tennessee plays Texas uh, at Texas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge on January 29th. A week later, the Lady Vols will play at Connecticut to play the UConn Huskies on February 6th. Gene, that's that's really, to me, that's where the season is really going to pick up and get going, is, is right at the end of J- January and beginning of February. That's when I think, you know, that's when t- people really start tuning in and paying attention more to college basketball because at that point um, college football is over with I, I guess you saw the Super Bowl happening at that point um, for the NFL but really if you're a college sports fan 
you have college football is over with, and I guess National Signing Day is what you're paying attention to. But now, like, National Signing Day has become much less of a big deal because of the early signing period. So, Gene, these schedules are not easy. Uh, they're, I don't want to go through, you know, week by or game by game and list off all these things, but Lady Vol is playing three of the four Final Four teams last year. That's insane to me. The men's team doesn't have much of an easier schedule playing uh, their non-conference slate and then also looking at just kind of the the back and forth they're going to have with some of the SEC games. You have, again, you, st- you start off on the road against Alabama, then you go uh, on the road to Kentucky, on the road to Vanderbilt after that, which that should be a win, but then LSU and Florida after that, then Texas, and then when you play Kentucky again at home, the very next game you play uh, four days later is against Arkansas on the road. So I, <laughs> it just that's not an easy schedule for Tennessee. Definitely not an easy schedule for Lady Vols. But again, I, I am extremely excited for that Tennessee-Memphis game. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But also really excited for that week where you have Tennessee and Texas and then Lady Vols and UConn. That, that's going to be an exciting week. Or a very sad week, depending on what happens uh, for Tennessee basketball fans there. Yeah, um, you know, first thing I want to look at the schedules is, uh, you know, this is a minor thing that doesn't really move the needle, but Georgia College is actually coached by Ross Jolly, Kelly's brother. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, that'll be, I think that'll be a cool thing, um, you know, because, I mean, I know people are wondering why how do you find Georgia College to play in an exhibition game? That's how you find Georgia College to play in an exhibition game. They're all, um, and so that I'm looking, you know, you're talking about a, a UCF team that was 16 and four in the regular season and the re- going into the NCAA tournament last year. Um, to have the ability to bring in quality, I mean, to, to go up against quality competition, uh, the women's schedule tells me one thing. Uh, this is how I interpret the women's schedule. Kelly Harper thinks that this is going to be a really good team. Because you don't schedule that way just because. Um, you schedule that way because you think that you're, you, you've got a contender. Now, is that true? I mean, are you going to go out? You're not going to schedule like this if you think that you have an average team. Because you'll constantly get your head caved in. Yeah, what? For what? Like, for what purpose? You know, so um, to me, like that says that she thinks that she's going to have a good team. I mean, mean, when you're playing, when you go out and schedule two Final Four participants um, and an Elite Eight participant, um, you you go out, I mean, obviously, what was it, South Carolina? Right, yeah. Uh, obviously, South Carolina. That's that you don't you don't schedule that. That's <laughs> sorry on your schedule. Um, you know, like you, you go out of your way to schedule two teams, and, and again, a UConn team that I understand it was part of this three game uh, series of theirs, but um, you know, like that's still a a really quality game against a team that made it to the Elite Eight. You're not doing that for any other reason. You're not. Um, now, some of that is, you know, I think some of Kelly's old school ways. In fact, she was that Pat Summer didn't back down from anybody. Yep. And she all now, of course, different game back then. There really was Tennessee and 
what UConn and somebody maybe snuck in from time to time back then, but that was really a lot of Tennessee and UConn back then. Um, and Stanford was good, but Stanford went out here winning championships in you know the '90s and stuff. Um, now the men's side, you know, we've opined about the men's schedule. We knew the non-conference schedule, um, certainly a quality one. Uh, and when you're when you throw big names out there, people get excited. It doesn't matter how good the teams are. If I just simply said. Um, Hey man, Tennessee's playing UCLA. What? Now, obviously, that would be a funny game, but uh, I wasn't even thinking about that until I said. <laughs> I thought you said that on purpose. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, even if, well, let me. That's not a good. That's not a good example right now. Um, like Tennessee, Arizona looks good. Arizona's got a new coach. Yeah. Um, so how good of a game is it truly going to be? Uh, I don't know what they did in the portal. I, I don't. I know very little about Arizona, but it looks good. But it's not all that. It, it probably it should not be all that great of a game. Tennessee's what people expect it to be, which is a top twenty team this year. Uh, now I can look foolish if Arizona is also projected as a top twenty team, but I haven't heard much. I don't think they are. Yeah. You know and. You know the the Texas Tech looks game looks good, but how much do they have back? I mean, they lost the coach that you know really made them relevant in this sport. Um, you know, like so I, I don't know. Um, they do have a really good. I mean, heck, even even one of those games that people would try to, you know, you know, odds makers or you know, betters would try to. Talk themselves into the UNC UNC Greensboro game, new coach, West Miller's at Cincinnati now. So I don't know what UNC Greensboro has coming back. I know they've got a kid that was in the summer league that you know had like two or three ridiculous dunks, and I saw him dunk like that in games in college. Really good player. I don't know what else they have left. So like if you're if you're on the men's side. You get excited for Memphis, um, maybe Texas Tech. You know the the, the tip off tournament. I think is where you really get excited. Mm-hmm. That's like when I look at the schedule. It's the tip off tournament is, is Memphis, and you hope that Texas Tech can hold up its end of the bargain. Um, but you know we're in schedule season, and everybody's excited, and everybody's projecting, and everybody's you know getting starting to figure out exactly how good their team's going to be this year. You know, it, it, you know, when you look at their schedule, um, I think the fact that both teams were not afraid to go out and schedule big names is is really good. And, you know, the, the men's team has never had that problem. Uh, the women's team, towards the end of the previous regime, Kind of felt like you know you had the Stanford game or and you had the Big Twelve Challenge game and that was pretty much it. And I guess that's the one game that's missing on the, the women's side. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see. I mean, they're they're playing two Big Twelve teams. They're playing Texas and Kansas, but they're oh, actually in Oklahoma State, so three. But they're not playing a like a yeah. You're right. They're not playing an SEC Big Twelve Challenge type of 
event. Yeah, if it if so, it hadn't been more. I see right. a Thanksgiving shootout. Um, I don't know how many years you want to play Texas. Uh, I feel like that Tennessee Texas game happens all the all the dang time. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, like I, I'm. I think that if nothing else, if you're fans, you're excited because you want to get excited about competition. Yeah. You want money to be well spent. Uh, you want to get excited about your team. And if you win a few of these games, you build excitement. If you win them all, obviously, you go crazy. Uh, but I think it. I think you go crazier if you're a, a Lady Vols fan as opposed to a uh, a Vols fan because there's not I don't know aside from Memphis are there that many teams ahead of you like I mean projected to be ahead of you in the rankings I, I, I think sure. there's Memphis Texas and I want to say it, depending on which of the two teams Tennessee plays at, at which they'd have beat Villanova first but uh, I think Purdue and that Hall of Fame tip off I think they're going to be a top I wouldn't say they're going to be a, possibly a top 10 team top 15 team this year so I think those three probably will be ranked ahead of Tennessee because I don't no, think Texas. UNC will, and I don't think I don't think Villanova will. God, Texas. I mean, Texas people was are, surprised me a little bit just because people are expecting Col- big things out of Texas. Like, they really are. I, I already, I'm already telling you the preseason hype on on the Longhorns with Chris Beard. There is it's pretty high I, right now. I 100 percent believe you. It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, your coach. How the coach leaves and they throw in all these transfers. That's got to me. That's got. I've been burned on this before, but it's just a whole lot of new there. Like it, it could either go like Kentucky or it can go like Arkansas, like or, or Baylor even. Like it, you've got, it's it's. <laughs> there are a couple ways it can go. You're right. Yeah, I guess my my issue is the first. I mean, everything being new. Like most, I mean, everybody loves what happened with most of them this past year, but that very first year wasn't that last year, the 1920 season. That was a team that started off really hot and then kind of just limped through a conference season. Yeah, because when know? we were when we were doing this as an SEC podcast, that was the thing we talked about was like Arkansas last yeah. year or that last season started off really hot and then faltered down the stretch, and they'd start off hot again. Then this season, we're like, well, I mean. We've seen this before, can they? Because yeah, they they started off really hot and then went seven and eleven in SEC play in his first year. And then this year, opposite happened. They started off hot and then they continued hot basically, and they finished thirteen and four in SEC play. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, maybe by January twenty ninth, that team will have started to gel a little bit. But man, and well, and let me be clear. I mean, Tennessee isn't exactly, you know, that. <laughs> 1819 team that you know that returned its entire you know top seven. Uh, they, they're going through a lot of changes as well, but they do have a good core with the coach. They've got Fulkerson, they've got James, they've got guys who've been in there and understand exactly what coach is trying to do. And there's not a single person, unless there's a Texas Tech transfer that went to Texas that I don't know about. There's not a single person there that knows how Chris Beard coaches in a game. They don't know much about the guy. They know more now. But, yeah, I mean, so, like, I think, like, that's, I get it. I understand the reason preseason rankings are usually ranked, you know, built on stars. Um, I'm pretty sure that Kentucky team that uh, 
got beat by Robert Morris in the first round of the NIT. I'm guessing that that was coming off a championship. They were probably ranked top 10 in the preseason. Just a guess. I have zero clue. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I get it. And I understand the transfers and the talent and all this, that, and the other. But, um, man, I mean, man, so Tennessee's the underdog. I'd play, I'd play that as long as I possibly could. I don't know, but they're both really good schedules. Uh, I think that's the exciting thing from my perspective is the fact they're both really good schedules where people have a reason to get excited about what lies ahead. Now you got to win. Now you, now you just have to win. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all. But I, I agree with you. Those are exciting schedules, and it's not going to be not going to be a whole lot of dull moments. You're going to have obviously some games that should be gimmies for both programs early in the season and then also just in December and stuff. And even even in conference play, you know, you have games like Tennessee playing Vanderbilt. That should be an easy – should be an easy win for the men's team. Uh, on the same thing for Lady Vols. I mean, Vanderbilt's been pretty garbage in both men's and women's basketball the last few years. So you have, you have quote-unquote, gimme games for both programs, but <laughs> you also have a, plenty of opportunities to slip up. And I think both these, these programs could be – possibly better than what the record shows because they've been battle tested. You, you could have Tennessee on the men's side be a 9-10 loss team heading into the NCAA tournament, but those those losses came to you'd hope. Some pretty good programs, some pretty good teams, and you're battle tested and, and you feel better about your chances than if you'd played a, a, a cupcake schedule and only had three or four losses for the whole season. Um, again, that, that that's I, I feel like it's also an argument people make against Gonzaga, but Gonzaga at least goes out and they try their darndest to make a really good non-conference schedule to make up for the fact that their their conference is weak. They've they've played a lot of good teams in non-conference over the last few years, but that's a totally different point. But I think both these these teams could have, you know, a few more losses that maybe fans would like heading into SEC tournament, heading into the NCAA tournament. But I think in the long run, it's going to be better for these teams, both these teams, to have played the non-conference schedule and to have played the SEC schedule that they're going to play and it prepared them for March as long as they stay healthy that, that's another thing that's a big key they're staying healthy and if you do sustain injuries you hope that's not to positions that have less depth than others and, and that you can withstand that that you have the type of depth to you know bolster your numbers if you do um, sustain any injuries but I think that's a that's a, a pretty good place to go ahead and end this podcast I am I am very excited for what the season's going to bring but we're still we're still two months away from it starting. As we're recording this, it's September 9th. The men's team tips off on November 9th, officially for, uh, again, for the regular season. And Lady Vols tip off on November, November 10th for the regular season. So we're a whole two months away still. We do have football now. Uh, last time we talked was before the football season started. But we do have football now. And obviously, I, I, I imagine several of you listening are also you know, Tennessee football fans or just college football fans in general. So we do have that. To, to tide you over to basketball season if you're a bigger basketball fan like me uh, at least you can watch some college football in the meantime as well but that'll be where we're in this podcast again thank you all so much for tuning in if this was your first time thank you so much if you're a returning listener whether it's your second third fourth 20th time thank you so much for coming back leave us a review on apple podcasts subscribe to us today share the show with your friends your family anybody you know who's a vol fan Lady Vol fan or just likes college basketball in general, share the show. We would really, really appreciate it. 
Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 